Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome back. We're going to talk some football. EPL yesterday, the Premier League's two powerhouses in recent years collided at Anfield. Liverpool may be doing it tough this year, but they managed to upset their Bitter rivals, Man City, and claimed three points in the front of a boisterous crowd. The game wasn't without its controversies, as neither was Arsenal's early in the day, as they now sit four points clear at the top of the table. How good. Someone who will be happy to hear that is our good friend, Harry Simeo. Hazza, what a time to be an Arsenal fan, my friend. Oh, it's great, mate. I'm just lapping it up because you don't know how long it's going to last. So you've got to enjoy it. You've got to take it all in. And uh, we've had so many years of disappointment that you, you kind of have to just ride the wave now. <laughs> how are you guys? We're good. We're good, Hez. We appreciate you coming on the show. And yes, I've been thinking about you seeing the Gunners sit atop of the table uh, ahead of the, the City. Does City's loss this weekend give you a lot of confidence as an Arsenal fan that you might be able to sustain a healthy gap at the top of the table? I've got to be honest, I don't think that Arsenal are ready uh, to go the distance. You know, as much as we're enjoying it at the moment, <laughs> you look at the depth that Manchester City have in that squad and the fact that they could lose three or four key players and replace them with equally good ones. Um, you look at Chelsea's depth, it's probably better than Arsenal's. Maybe Spurs' depth is, is better than Arsenal's as well. I think there's a few teams who have that capability and, and, and as good as Arsenal's first 11 is beyond that there are a few weaknesses so whether Arsenal will be able to sustain that challenge I think is dependent on on how lucky they are with injuries and fitness issues over the course of the season so we're not getting carried away because I think there's a long way to go but the early signs are encouraging and listen Manchester City might have got beaten this weekend but they're more than capable of going on a 10-15 game winning run as they've proven <laughs> uh, many times over the last few seasons Hey Harry, what led to Arsenal Arsenal's game at Leeds being delayed? Were the Rhinos hosting a rugby league World Cup game? Were they? <laughs> no, so uh, there was a there was a massive problem um, in the area in which the Leeds United Stadium, Ellen Road, is situated. There was a power cut um, just a few minutes into the game, maybe two minutes in, and what happened was, as a consequence of that power cut, 
the connection between all of the officials was uh, was knocked out and they couldn't reset that. And also the connection uh, to Stockley Park, where the video assistant referees are watching, uh, was also interrupted. So the problem was that the game couldn't continue without the video assistant referee being in play because it would affect the integrity of the competition given every other ground had it functioning. And luckily they did delay the game and wait because the VAR was needed on three or four occasions with that mm. game. So uh, the delay was frustrating, but uh, <laughs> I think you know they, they had no choice in the end, really. Mate, just, just on that, did you feel that disrupted Arsenal's preparations? Only a 1-0 win over Leeds, and they're talking of the VR, VAR. It played a big part again this weekend. What did you feel they got wrong? Yeah, I mean, the disruption, I think, was something that both teams had to contend with. So I don't want to sit here and say that you know, Arsenal were the only ones that had to had to cope with that. Leeds, to their credit, turned in their performance of the season. They were really, really good. Uh, they performed to a really high level, particularly in the second half, and uh, and probably will feel very hard done by that they ended up losing the game. You ask me what the VAR got wrong. Maybe the VAR got wrong the decision to disallow a Leeds United goal right at the start of the second half. There was a a slight hint of a foul on the, the Arsenal defender by Patrick Bamford, who scored the goal. And uh, and the VAR stepped in and decided that it was enough to chalk the goal off. And I think if it was the other way around, I'd have been feeling pretty hard done by. They did get a lot of things right, though, the VAR as well, this weekend. Um, there was a, an incident right at the end of the game in stoppage time where an Arsenal player was sent off and a penalty was awarded to Leeds. That was the wrong decision, so thankfully VAR stepped in there. They also stepped in at Anfield in the game between Liverpool and City and denied Manchester City a goal where there was a foul in the build-up. Manchester United probably should have had a penalty kick in their game at Old Trafford, and they went on to draw that game. So they'll be very frustrated that the VAR uh, didn't pick that up. But this is the thing that drives us mad with it. It's a great tool, but the application of it is just too inconsistent. Mm. Yeah, we've got the same problem down here with the bunker in Rugby League, Harry. So, mate, the, the, you're talking a little bit about Liverpool. Could the tide be turning for Salah and, and Liverpool? I think there's that old saying in, in football that, you know, form is temporary and class is permanent. And I think, you know, that's that's what you can say about this Liverpool side. They will be back. They will um, get much closer to the top than where they currently find themselves. And what better way to kind of reignite that spark and, and obviously build confidence than by beating a Manchester City side that everybody thought were going to go there and roll them over. Salah was excellent yesterday not just on the ball as he normally is, not just in and around the penalty area, but his general game was was, such, was to such a high level. Um, you know, He worked incredibly hard. He really set the tone. And also the, the re-emergence of Virgil van Dijk in the defence as a really good, strong force uh, was clear to see yesterday. He's had a difficult start to the season and that's been key. But he looks as though he's turned the corner as well. So Liverpool will be hoping they can build on this. There's a midweek round of fixtures uh, this week and then back in action again at the weekend. So there's lots of football and lots of time for Liverpool to play their way back into form. Mate, one of the, the, the teams that you're looking at the table, you're starting to think, what? They are flying. Is a bit of reality starting to hit Brighton at the moment? Obviously, dropping the last couple and falling a, a wee bit down, on the ladder, down the ladder. They were flying earlier on in the season. Yeah, they've been really unlucky, Brighton, because they've built something very good there. Uh, in recent seasons under the management of Graham Potter, who is now the Chelsea manager. Uh, he obviously got the job when they decided to part ways yeah. with Thomas Tuchel 
about five or so weeks ago, and he's won every single game, barring one in Europe, as the Chelsea boss. So um, Chelsea's gain has obviously been Brighton's loss. They've brought in Roberto De Zerbi, uh, a promising young Italian coach, um, who's, who's got a pretty decent CV himself, but it's just going to take him a little bit of time, I think, to get his sort of his team playing the way he wants. They were really good at Liverpool uh, the week before last, and were really unlucky to lose the game in the end. Uh, to draw the game, I beg your pardon. They should have got all three points. Brighton will be. Brighton always do this. Brighton always start the seasons really well, and then they tend to level out. But I think they'll be comfortably in the table this season, which. For a club of that size, you know, it's pretty good and probably the max you could ask for. Beautiful, mate. And uh, look, be remiss of me not to ask anything of this team, Man United. Any hope? Any glimpses of anything? <laughs> every time, every time you think that, every time you think that Manchester United have turned the corner, and every time you think that they're back on the right track, it's a, it's a, it's a performance. performance. Yeah. They produce a really poor performance or or something that makes you question Aww. what's going on. The Cristiano Ronaldo thing continues to rumble on. What's the situation Does there? Hate not him? happy. I, I wouldn't go as far as saying he hates him, but I think that Ten Hag has got a very specific way in which he wants his team to play football. And a 38-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo just can't just can't do that. And um, But then again, yesterday, the game that they ultimately huh? drew with Newcastle, a game they should win when, of course, they've got Spurs and Chelsea to come. You know, there was a chance right at the death that Marcus Rashford missed. And you're looking at it and you think, if that's Cristiano Ronaldo, Manchester United win the game. Hands down. Hands down. That's why I can't, I can't understand it. But anyway, he's the manager and I'm the radio host and I just leave it up to him, really. Anyway, mate, here's a, we're going to let you go. Appreciate it. Love hearing your voice back Thank on you the airways. You're an absolute champion. Take care and well done to the Gunners. Hopefully you can continue to fly top of the EPL League, mate. Thank you so much, Haz. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. 2022 has been a fantastic year for our Kiwi Track cycling team and it keeps getting better. From the Commonwealth Games to the World Champs, it has been a medal frenzy. The World Champs have just wrapped up with Brioni Bortha taking home the silver medal in the pursuit, Corbin Strong silver in the elimination and our man Aaron Gates snagging bronze in the Omnium. And he joins us on the line right now out of Europe. G'day, Aaron. Thanks so much, mate. How you doing? G'day. Good morning. Good, thanks. How you going? Good, thank you. How's France, mate? Uh, good to be back on dad duties now. <laughs> yeah, flew uh, back back to our base in uh, Spain today and, yeah, back to school pickup and usual usual things. Got to mow the lawns tomorrow. Oh. They're looking a bit overgrown after a couple of weeks on the road. <laughs> but, but, but how refreshing is that for you? Obviously, being away on tour, the pressures, you know, tour life, there's so much um, yeah, pressure on yourselves to perform. But getting back into reality, is it is that a good release for you? Oh, it's nice. Yeah, it's always um, nice to come back to the family. Definitely miss them when I'm away. And it's nice to be able to come back to a... Uh, a nice, yeah, a nice family surrounding, and um, straight back into looking after the re, wee rugrat because he definitely, <laughs> um, I guess, cycling is good training for for parenting in a way. <laughs> Always nice to get back to the kids, mate, and it's also nice to grab a bronze medal in the uh, Omni. And uh, that puncher made it things a bit harder. How did how did you find it? Yeah, it wasn't. Um, 
wasn't an ideal situation. I like was in the in the front with um, with Tamar and, and Hayter, and just as um, the Dutch rider in front of me decided to move down the track, even that looked like he was going up, sort of pushing me into the onto the bottom. And I think just that I must have picked something up in the tire just on that little bit off the track, and um, he yeah, unfortunately started going that horrific pss, pss, pss noise, and I was like, "Uh oh, please tell me that's not my tire." <laughs> got out of the saddle to, to chase them down and felt the front wheel starting to bob and I was like, oh, this isn't good. Seven laps to go. This is not <laughs> not what the situation you want to be in. Um, so I was kind of just trying to pursue them, but it was just like kind of flogging a dead, dead horse at that stage. I was kind of in defense mode, just hoping the tire was going to hold enough air to, to basically not crash in the last seven laps. And luckily I got that far, but I had to, yeah, I guess it probably... I mean, I like to think I would have been at least silver had I kept that, um, had I avoided that puncture. But I mean, it's um, I was the the, the winner was a, a very clear, um, strong rider. So yeah, uh, kind of much for muchness when you're second or third. It's not quite the win, but at least it was um, good to be in the mix. And I think a, a good sort of a good marker heading towards the um, the Olympics in a couple of years' time, which is on this same track. Mate, mate, the team is flying at the moment. You've obviously gone over. You've got Brioni Bortha. You've got Corbin Strong um, having, a, having a phenomenal uh, meeting as well. So the team as a whole, are they happy? Is, are the coach and the team morale quite uh, positive at the moment with the success you've had? Yeah, it was a. Um, we came here and the sort of the, the goal from the, the management was to try and get two medals here and we, we walked away with three. So um, just from a pure numbers perspective, we we can consider it successful but i think also just like every single individual that was there was um was performing well and i think everyone that was in our squad deserved deserved to be there and was definitely riding at a world-class level so i think it's a it's a great sign to see new zealand track cycling as a whole is in a in a great position and um yeah like it's it's good to sort of have another have another competition after com games like that was a pretty pretty heavy build up there and the fact that everyone managed to keep chugging along and um, still come out and perform a few months down the track without um, going too far off the rails, which is easy to do when you've got success. But I think it's, um, yeah, credit to credit to the team and the staff that we had working with us. It's It's been a noticeable turnaround for sure. Uh, performances on the track uh, have always been there, but off the track there's been some noticeable changes. Mate, what are those changes that you've, you've been able to pinpoint it to to be able to have the success and you know, change the the fortunes of cycling New Zealand. Um, from a like our particular squad, like the endurance men side of thing, we're just having a bit more scope and freedom to to pursue opportunities on the road, and just being able to to race with international road teams like Tom and myself racing with the the Kiwi Black Spoke Bolton Equities team this nice. year is to just help build the engines another another level. And Campbell and Corbin are both racing at World Tour level on the road as well, and having pretty successful years there. So I think it's just um, the fact that everyone just physically is continuing to strive and um, improve as as the years go on and get more mature. And um, also the fact we've got a sort of some fresh coaching staff that have just come in and they're, they're sort of starting to pursue the equipment and the that side of things, which is super important in track cycling. It's kind of like the arguably the most... Um, reliant sport at the olympics um in terms of equipment um like if you go out with a slow bike you <laughs> you race you just simply can't compete with the likes of the 
the big nation budget so we don't we don't have those budgets so it's about being creative and do what we can with the partnerships we have um like we're lucky enough to have southern spas based in auckland who are who are build super yacht masks but happen to be bloody good at making uh track bike disc wheels for us too so we're kind of lucky with some of that kiwi ingenuity that chips away in the background to keep us at the forefront of uh, (laughs) the world sport yeah hey hey aaron just talking a little bit but about that rewinding it back to the commonwealth games and the dominance that we showed in cycling are we in a good place both on the track but you know with with what's been going on with cycling new zealand off the track and behind the scenes Oh, do, do you see a positive um, relationship between the organisation and the athletes going forward? Um, well, like from an overall cycling perspective, I think um, New Zealand is definitely just in a, in a great space at the moment. Like um, Sam Gaze just winning a couple of world titles on the mountain bike. Um, Neve Fisher-Black winning the under-23 road race. World title, um, first time that, that event's taken place, and a Kiwi won it. So um, I think just overall, it's, it's it's just amazing. There's a lot of Kiwis racing both in the states and um, and in Europe this year, like more more than ever at a professional level. So I think it's just kind of continuing to motivate the young guys back home um, to keep keep pushing harder and training harder and sort of get some goals that where they want to be in sport. And I think it's just cool seeing that um, some pathways are starting to take shape. And yeah, I think it's just a, a super exciting time for, for cycling in, in New Zealand. Well, for you, for yourself, mate, riding track and road, how do you decide which events you want to be at for at your peak at? Um, well, the Commonwealth games, I just kind of, Wanted to be good at everything, <laughs> and then luckily it worked out. But and you were um, it's sort of uh, it's definitely like it's uh, there is a bit of picking and choosing, and probably that's one thing uh, this time around for the worlds that it was probably a little bit too far down the down the road pathway since the Con Games. Like we just had a four four sessions on the velodrome between. Um, between com games and and the world champs like sort of a last minute um throw together with the, the limited time and, and money we had available to to get together and, and do some training versus the three weeks that we had before the com games so like that's definitely something we have to keep in mind going forward and yeah picking and choosing the times that we do spend together on the track because it's 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 pretty crucial but it also costs money so it's like that that fine balance between uh getting the mix right so that's why this year was a great learning curve to sort of see both ends of the spectrum and where we can try and meet in the middle to still still get the best out of everyone on race day um but yeah i I really enjoyed racing both the road and track it's um kind of i think what gives me a a extra dimension as a as a rider and it kind of keeps the sport interesting too because there's always something else to something else new and different coming up. Mm. Mate, a couple of months left in the year. You got, you, know, you got any big targets left on the calendar before the year shuts out? Uh, no, nah, yesterday was um, my last race of the season, so it was nice to hit stop on the bike computer and say that was the <laughs> that was the last one that, that really counted this year. Um, and so, yeah, now just a month at home, um, feet up for a bit, no, no bike per se, and just some family mm. time and yeah, just a uh, bit of R and R, and um, yeah, then just start the rebuild with the preseason for for next year. It's going to be another another big year, mainly with a road focus, um, continuing to build the 
build the engine room um, and then the the final tweaks will come in um, the following year for, for the, the big dance in Paris on the track. Beautiful, mate. Well, just quickly before we let you go, speaking of aerodynamics, um, that moulet, <laughs> that beautiful moulet, that mullet, has the coach told you to get rid of that? Because obviously that will create a bit of friction and you know slow you down with that little beautiful moulet out the back of the helmet. Is that, is that all part of the plan? Have you been told to cut well, off? Oh, the coach is sort of slowly – like I was – luckily mine was not at a length that he really noticed. Um, but George Jackson, one of the other team members, it's worth looking up a photo of him because he had a pretty spectacular one at the comp games. The coach definitely uh, was starting to raise a few eyebrows. But it's sort of – there's been a long history of, of mullets with Shane Archibald actually specifically doing some testing one day with his mullet in the wind tunnel with the mullet out and the mullet in. And the mullet out actually – uh, returned a more superior aerodynamic CDA value. So, Ooh. I mean, he did later go on to admit to me that he might have raised his head s- just slightly in the one that the mullet was in, <laughs> just to show that it was faster. But, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> my wife seems to think it gives me extra power. So <laughs> sometimes you said I take extra extra drag with more power. Good work, Conan. <laughs> There you go, there you go. Man, it's phenomenal. You're going to have young kids on their bikes around the country emulating Aaron Gates' moulet. Appreciate it, mate. Appreciate your time. Keep up the great work and enjoy your break, your well-deserved break. And we look forward to seeing you on the track and the road shortly, mate. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Cheers, guys. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Yeah, there he is, Aaron Gates. One of the characters of cycling He's on the team. And, mate, it's just that same old conversation we have down here, down under, how we're able to compete with the nations that have huge budgets and we continue to compete and, and you, know, um, you know, keep ourselves near the top of the level dealing with uh, the budgets that they do overseas. And just Aaron Gate talking about that, we've got the rowing, we've got the cycling, we've got the sailing, you know, like, it's down under, not much money here, but we're still um, competitive. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I love about it. Just Kiwis find a way. Kiwi ingenuity, they talk about. There's a few messages here ripping into Dagger. How good? Why not? George Bridges ripping into me on, the, on my Instagram page. He's asking me, where can I play golf, Dagger? And I said, why don't you go play Shirley, mate? 16 holes and it might keep you under 100. He says, Dag, you can't say that. <laughs> well, I can. If I shot 100, you would have shot 300, okay? Because that's how much of a hacker you are. Just tell anyway. them, just tell them to put their money where their mouth is, mate. Get them back oh, out no, there. Mate. Honestly. Anton Leonard Brown, he's my next victim. I'm going to smoke him. He's ripped into me day one. And now, and now, he's come back with me. Mate, I shot 100, you would have shot 200. And he said, whatever, I've never had a 13. And I have a bigger drive than you. No, you don't have a bigger drive than me. And you never had a 13. That's because you have circle eight. You pick up. Can't pick up in a professional event. Bridge. They don't come through. And this guy on the text machine, you got a bit of cheek too. Leave your name with it. Do they have high-performance centres for former All Blacks to get them to save money on par fives at Cleora by saving golf balls? Asking for a friend. <laughs> well, they, uh, it's funny you say that, actually. They're actually creating a high-performance centre... At Clearwater, Todd Heller, who obviously used to own Heller's um, butchery, he sold it up a few years ago. He's got a few, few bob. Well, he's putting in a high-performance driving range there at Clearwater if you're just driving in on the right. 
So that should be finished in a couple of years. Kempe, that's going to be great. Great going forward for these young golfers. And that'll be high-performance centre to maybe entice and encourage our next generation to go forward and move move on. So looking forward to, to that one. And there's another message here. Morena Brothers, sounds like your trip was off the charts. Louis, yes, it was off the charts. And we're going to get an update from Louis later on in the 8 o'clock hour. And uh, good on you for doing it instead of talking about it. Kempi, I was on the place bet with Jam with the entire yeah, Fuddy brother. So congrats. Most I formed uh, Kiwi athletes at the moment are Cole, owning in the squash world, and our great commentary triathlete mate, Hayden Wild. And if you're looking at best moneymaker, it has to be Steve Alka. Yep, well, Steve Alka's announced he's going to play at the New Zealand Golf Open. And is he? Keep the chin up, bro. I've got a bucket of good balls here in the shed for you. We'll courier them over to you. Relax, Daggy Woods. <laughs> There's a lot of good chat, I is. A lot of good oh, chat. I love it. I love it. I love it. Mate, honestly, as soon as I was hitting that 13, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to get ripped out for this. Yeah. But, hey, gave it a crack and how do we nudge it? I, well, just figured out quite quickly that golf, professional golf, is on another level. <laughs> it's on another level, mate. Who was the who was the best young like? Because I heard there was a couple of young kids down there playing. Who was the best young kid you saw playing down there? Oh, there was so many. Um, you got Harry Bateman. He's a guy from Auckland. I've watched him play a few times. You got Tyler Woods. Uh, the guy Josh Geary. He's been around for a while. He actually won the event. He's very very talented. And then there's a young Hawks Bay guy, uh, Michael Thompson as well, who's got so much talent. So there's plenty, Kempi, and uh, we're going to talk some league right now. I'll throw to you to introduce our next guest, my friend. Yeah, mate, no worries at all. Of course, we're talking about the greatest game of all, which is in decline at the community level, and Auckland Rugby League aren't going to sit on their hands while solutions are found. Instead, they are actively looking for the right people to reinvigorate the sport. With two director roles currently available on the ARL board top Talent has been scouted to take up the task and join the organisation as they look to grow the game yet again. Rebecca Russell, new CEO of Auckland Rugby League, is on the line with us now. Morena Bex, how are you? Morena, TK, really good, thank you. That's good. Hey, we've seen the video. Everyone here in the studios watched it and you put it out there about these uh, two director roles that are just coming up. How important is it that you get this hire right for the next two people? Oh, look, it's, it's really critical. I think, um, you know, when we've kind of looked at our numbers, um, yeah, we've looked at it in the context of COVID, and I think it's really easy for, um, for us to have maybe hid behind the fact that COVID was so hugely disruptive. But as we've looked at our player numbers, um, I think we've, we could see a bit of a decline happening before COVID. So, you know, we want to change that, um, you know, that, that trajectory and we want to really transform the game. So these two director roles are critical in terms of guiding our future success. What does the game need right now to grow again, um, Rebecca? Look, I think it's a number of things. I think we need to do a much better job at talking about ourselves. I think, uh, you know, leagueies tend to be a little more humble um, I think we need to be way more out there. Um, we've got some incredible people involved in the game um, and we, we've got some really great stories to tell. And, I, and you know, um, TK, when you when you introed, you know, you, you talked about the great game. This is the greatest game in the world. Um, I think we just need to, we need to really, um, really own that. If we can do that, then that, you know, we're halfway there.
Bex, is there a reflection in what is happening in our sport here, or is the rugby league sort of sitting out there on its own as a as a part to other sports that are that are sort of do they have the same problems? Do you think, or is it just specifically rugby league? Look, no, I, I think it's all club sport. Um, you know, if I look nationally and, you, you know, you can only kind of see and hear about the trends that are happening. Um, everyone's time poor, our ability to, to bring in volunteers that are so critical to any grassroots competition, anything um, that's kind of club-related, any type of sport. I think that we're all feeling that squeeze. I think we're just being really brave and putting ourselves out there to say, actually, we're going to put our hand up. we yeah, we want help, and um, we want to try and attract the very best people. How much uh, focus needs to go on the strength of competitions as well as player numbers? Um, a genuine competition around Auckland, around the country, that can, well, encourage these players to, to have a dabble? Yeah, it is. It's, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of everything. The, um, our competition standard needs to needs to be raised. Um you know, certainly it's a real focus for us in Auckland, but we would love to see, you know, stronger competition at a national level. It um, would really fill, um, you know, a spot, a, you know, a gap that we've currently got in our pathways and really make that a much more seamless um, transition through to, um, you know, NRL level if that's kind of where you wanted to go. Uh, is there, like, uh, what's the main hurdle for that, um, why we don't have a major competition? Is it just there's no alignum, li- alignment f- between the districts or the unions? Yeah, look, it's a discussion that we're having with the NZRL, and I'm certainly open um, to that. And we, we've had wider discussions um, with regions across New Zealand. And I think everyone is on board. I think we just probably need to... Uh, formalise that and and ta- start taking some some steps in that direction. I think it probably just hasn't been a focus for for a few years, and uh, yeah, we've just kind of lost some momentum in that space. Hey, Bex, a lot of people will be listening to this next question. You know, after the New Zealand Rugby signed that Silver Lake deal, one of the first things they did was take the money out to the clubs and inject it into the community game. You know, so they. How is the ARL placed financially and are the clubs in need of a cash injection? Um, yeah, look, ARL is, you know, is well funded and I think that um, in terms of that club support, that is definitely a key part of our strategy going forward. Um, you know, the ability for those clubs to really thrive, um, not just to attract players, but then to also uh, maintain that growth and make sure we re- those players is is going to be really important. So how we um, support the clubs going forward is going to be really key. What's the relationship like with New Zealand Rugby League? Is there is it a good relationship? Is there a little bit of friction? Do they listen? Um, look, yeah, I've been in the role for about six months now and I've had really great engagement with the NZRL. Um, I think we are definitely aligned on um, our thinking and that future direction. Um, and I think, you know, from my perspective, I think that the relationship is strong and I think we just need to, to really build on that. Hey, Bex, what's the biggest learning in the, la- in the last six months for you coming in out of, uh, out of Datacom into, into sport um, that you see can make a significant change to the, to the sport here in Auckland? 
Oh, look, I think the level of investment um, that sport needs is really important, I think. So we can't, I don't think we can run sport these days um, just through love. And, you know, there is a lot of people that absolutely love the game of rugby league. And, and I think in this environment, you know, that's not going to be... Um, and I think, so that's a really, I think that's been quite, you know, that's been a bit of an, um, you know, eye-opener for me. And also, I think, the collaboration. I think we absolutely need to collaborate with all of our stakeholders, our club network, our, um, you know, the NZRL, the Warriors. We all have to come together. I think we need to be united on that. And that's something that I'm really um, focused on. Hey, Bex, well, uh, good to chat this morning. Thanks a lot for coming. I wish you all the luck, and uh, you're doing a fantastic job that you get the two people that you're looking for to help you on this journey that you've created. Um, just before I let you go, World Cup's on at the moment. Who you got? Who have I got? The Kiwis, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Bleed black, eh, Bex? That's what, we wanted. That's what we wanted to hear. Hey, thanks very much for coming on. All the best with the Auckland Rugby League. Thanks for joining us on SCNZ this morning. Awesome. That's Rebecca Russell, CEO of the Auckland Rugby League. She's done a fantastic job, been in there six months, put a strategy together, got a really big vision for the Auckland Rugby League. And I don't know if you've seen the video, uh, get get on uh, line at the Auckland Rugby League and have a look at it. She's uh, putting a, putting it out there for good people to join the league and take the game forward. Yeah, that's, what, that's what the sport needs. They need good people. She's so funding the isn't the problem. No. Funding isn't the problem with Auckland Rugby League. Not at all. Um, that's a clear indication there. And, and she gave us a little bit of confidence saying that there is a bit of alignment between them and New Zealand Rugby League. They're having the conversation. She's only been six months in the role, so that gives you a bit of confidence. But I just can't understand. Like, we had the Barter Card, card Cup. That was an awesome competition, I felt, around the country. That's disappeared. And we haven't had a competition, and she touched on it, hasn't probably been at the forefront of their minds over the last couple of years. That's okay, COVID, but that's gone. That excuse is gone now. So it has to be at the forefront of their minds. Competition, pathways, getting these players an opportunity to make it here, and that will lead into the Warriors. That'll help the Warriors to be able to grow their own. So gave yeah. me some, a little bit of confidence here. Yeah, nice chat. Nice chat from Rebecca. Um, and you're dead right. The Warriors play a big part. And if we could all come together, mm. oh, it's really interesting. Like thinking back to the, when we had Steve Lancaster, and and you kind of floated that idea about league and um, union clubs working together, and and that the first priority or one of the first priorities for NZR was to get back in the community and get them to apply for these grants, right? Because clubland is uh, broken around New Zealand, or well, it's, I mean, it's not just one. It's not just one sport. That's that's the whole thing. And amalgamation and united is definitely the way forward. I passionately agree with you on that 100%. front, Kimpy. Um, so there's a cash. There is a there's a money's not the issue because we know about the Carlaw Park Heritage Trust. Heritage Trust, right? So how do you then pull the trigger at the right point of time with the right? methods and strategies to create longevity financially for clubs which will then cycle through and build the game again and I guess that's where the two these two directors they're going to hire will probably be those are the conversations it's probably one step away right now am I reading that right Kempi? Well they're on the journey and now it's about taking the whole organisation on the journey and putting the right people in the seats you know how we always talk about seats on buses like yeah. we don't want people in the sport, especially on the Auckland Rugby League board, that don't know what they're doing. 
You know, we don't want to hand over seats to people just because it's their time and they deserve to be sitting there. You actually need a, a, a certain set of skills that you can go in there and deliver on a strategy that will take the game forward, which is always built around clubs and community. What she's saying is, financially, the Auckland Rugby League's in a really good position to do that. What we want are the smart people to help us go along that journey. And that, and I think, you know, she's leading the way in sport because I see it on many of boards at the moment where you've just got people that are sitting on there to furnish their, their governance CVs. You know, and and rugby league has actually picked up quite a lot of those people because they actually want to get onto your board, is he? The New Zealand Rugby Board, and they want to use the pathway which is New Zealand Rugby League. I'm, I look, I I think what she's trying to do is fantastic. Was anyone at the Everest? Did I bump into you and spill my drink on you? Um, of course I didn't. But lads, like you, you have both had huge experience in Australia with your professional playing careers. They just do it differently, don't they? They just have a different culture for sport and racing. Hundred percent. Yeah, so good. Like the, the like the cup. Well, I said to Izzy, you know, about going to the cup um, this year. Having a horse in it makes it even more special. But for me, the best sporting event that I've ever been to, and we've been to plenty, is the Melbourne Cup. The just the 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 week, and then you get the cup day and the crowd and just the experience of the whole sporting event because it is a sporting event is second to none. Oh, we in that mosh pit, Louis? Yeah, peaking duck. Peking duck. duck. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty <laughs> loose. Like, I tell you one thing. So, we're peaking duck playing afterwards. Yeah. Oh, how good. So Peter Valandi's right. PVL. He's the king. He's the king of Sydney. He runs rugby league. He runs racing. And this race didn't exist a decade ago, right? And what they've done through cash injection and then capturing the young audience, the Gen Z, the vapors, the like that crowd that typically wouldn't be here. So they got the crowd, they got the audience, they captivated them, but then they've managed to attach racing to it to the point now that our esteemed colleague, and he's one of the, I, I seriously mean this, he is one of the best broadcasters in the world, Gerald Waitley. He said, I heard him say yesterday on his show in 1117 Melbourne, SEN, that the Everest is now one of the Grand Slam, Golden Slipper, Melbourne Cup, Caulfield Cup, Cox Plate. The Everest now goes on that level. And I completely agree. And I think that was probably the case going into this weekend. But after the weekend, it's undeniable. You can't deny that, I don't think. The race and the calibre and the elite level of race that the Everest has become. So then you've got this captivated audience that you've brought here with Peking Duck with a day out at the races and you mix them and introduce them to high level what should be group one level racing. You're growing a game and doing so much for an industry that it is. it honestly felt like this... I said it was like an energy and a buzz and a freedom and an intensity all just boiled into a racetrack where there's 47,000 people there and it was almost like electric, like it was pal- palpable. Like I've never felt anything like it in any racetrack around the world because it's a new audience that do things differently and they play Sweet Caroline and the whole crowd's singing it as the horses are, are out around the, the, the starting gates. What about the, what about the horses having to put up with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, they so did it, good. They did it after the race last year, and the horses didn't like it because they were coming back through. So they did it. They changed it up. So they yeah. so they find a solution, and I just 
Like I've never experienced anything like the. Uh, do you know what I mean by that electricity? It was just like it was vi- it was vibing, Izzy. It was vibing to use that word. Oh mate, I was watching. I was watching on telly, and they had a drone going on the other side, going past the whole stand, and ev- there was not an empty seat in sight. And I was just picturing you up there somewhere in the mosh pit, absolutely running a clinic, and then seeing poster the celebrations and just. All ages, you know. I even saw, I think, um, the the Everest Trophy was amongst the crowd and and, the, and up there having a little yeah, yeah. A little party. Like so, even the trainers are getting in there. And mate, it was an awesome event. I just, where do we want the Everest to get to? I think that's the question for you, Louis. Where, where do we want the Everest to get to? It's obviously part of the the Grand Slam now, and we know with Melbourne Cup encourages a lot of overseas horses. Is this more an event for more of our own, the Anzacs? Well, or are we going to encourage overseas horses to come over like they do the Chase the Royal Ascot Sprint and and things like that? Well, they, they can try if they want, but they'll never beat the Aussies at sprinting. Mm. We, we yeah. had the best, sprint, okay. best sprinters in the world, and, and this is why they come for the Melbourne Cup, because they've got superior stayers, and they can send a three-year-old down that's had seven starts and go around with 52 kgs on its back and win the Melbourne Cup. And, and you know, the the what this, what it does is it creates an elite level, the world's best sprint race. Next year, get this, $20 million purse. So he's he's chucking his 25% increase, I'm pretty sure. And the level of sprinter we get is just going to go up and up. I will tell you something that's funny, though. When the Everest was running, the noise when Nature Strip loomed up at the 300-meter mark and at the start of the rise was deafening. Like, every... Everyone had a ticket landing on Nature Strip, apart yeah. from a few, like <laughs> apart from say five percent of the crowd. And then when it, he got swamped at the fifty meter mark, and then it looked like Marzu was going to win for a second, it looked like Private Eye was going to win for a second, and then Giga Kick rolls them. It was just like silence. <laughs> and then he looked around, <laughs> and then he runs just like, oh, well, let's just get back on the piss, you know? <laughs> like, it was just like, it was just, it just, it went again, like, the crowd went again. But it was this moment of like, oh, wow, Nature Strip just got rolled. But it didn't matter. Then the party started again. Then they had, the 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 support card was awesome. And one last thought, we talked last week about the, Mal, you know, the traditionalist versus the Everest and what this means for Caulfield Cup. There was 40,000 people on at Caulfield. Then there was 47,000 people at Randwick. What I think we realised is now that's just one of the great days of racing. It's not a competition. The sprinters are up in Sydney. The stayers are down in Caulfield. There's 100,000 in Melbourne, is he? Oh. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> you know what it is. You know, you know what the Everest is. It's the 100 metres in the Olympics. Yeah, that's what that's what yeah. the Everest has become. That's yeah. what's the, the golden, yeah. the golden gate of the of the racing card that people want to go to because it's the it's the Flashy. lightning bolt yeah. of the racing. You know what I mean? So, uh, I yeah. think the slot racing idea out of this world, absolutely out of this world. And if you've got one, the young twenty eight year old that paid thirty five thousand dollars for Giga Kick and hasn't lost the race yet, played in Douglas, yeah. And and goes around again next year in the same race, mate. How happy would he be? Well, that's another story. He's a freakish trainer. He's on the up. And how's this? Giga kick wasn't even his third birthday. He wasn't even <laughs> fold down yet. So he, at that time of the year, I think he was. So he's technically two years and three hundred and fifty-five days old or something. Yeah. 
That is crazy. It was awesome. That is crazy. Anyway, that's, oh, that's my how tales. How good is Aussie racing? How good is Aussie racing? And then the little old liver mole down, down under, still the group one though, Kempi. Jammy. Jammy, yes, that's exactly right. Yep, I still had all the... The, the Gen the, Zs and the vaping the, and all that sort of stuff and the, and the umbrellas, <laughs> hey, it was just in the car park. But the, the Grand Tour, and look, the Grand Tour, shout out, love racing, thought NZ, Mate, I they, understand they where put you're on a, They put on a really good event. And good on you, and it's only going to go strength to strength and strength, and we, we won't make the mistake of comparing the two things, but what we will do is we'll support the Grand Tour and hopefully we can, we can get to that point. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.